Let's pray. Father, oh, thank you that this is a place of rest and acceptance for all the week of Spartanburg and really symbolically for all the week of the world. A place where no pretense, those of us who have failed this week or those of us who just ran out of, ran out of us, ran out of strength, ran out of willpower, hit something bigger than our capacity. Thank you, Lord, that we can come here and say, that thing got us. Thank you we can rest and reset. Lord, thank you that today is a day of, of resetting. We, we, can, we want to stop our minds from hopeless thinking, doubting. Certainly want to stop our minds from thinking about uh, alternatives to you in terms of solving our, our dilemma. Lord, we want, to, we want to come to Christ. We want to believe again. So already songs have helped us. Fellowship has helped us. The joy of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit. No one can fabricate a lonely gem turning into... A cathedral, a center of happiness except the Holy Spirit. He, you, O God, our Father, are here to extend hope and love and to reset, recalibrate, renew everyone. Everyone, the weak and the dirty. Or, Lord, you're just here to help celebrate those who've had fantastic weeks. Those who just triumphed this week, and we rejoice with them that they had notoriously fantastic achievements. Because we've known those weeks, and we know they're coming again. Oh, thank you, Lord. All in all, it's a a place of reset through Christ, through the Holy Spirit. Help us believe, believe the truth. This is a, a day of resetting, a place of resetting, a person who delights in resetting, recentering our lives to the purposes that were ours before we were born. Oh, how we love your church. How we love your son. How we love your promises. And how we love the end of your story. Help us to be faithful by the Holy Spirit to persevere until we see that you were in it all along. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
I guess you could tell by my, my opening prayer that it's certainly been one of those weeks for me. And, you know, it's very frustrating when I try to go in, in certain directions. I am a very driven person, very goal-driven person, and I have uh, immeasurably large expectations for the thing that I do in life. And when I don't achieve those, it's very hard for me to let those go and accept that God might have something else. And so feelings of failure, failed God. So when I run out of me, when I run out of juice uh, and hit something larger than me, I just, I, I tend to say, you know, all is lost and, and sort of spiral down. And so, so anyway, as the week began to you know, reveal that that's where this thing was going and for a number of directions that, or a number of reasons I can't explain when God was not going to let me go to Zechariah 12 through 14 where I wanted to go and celebrate with you all and, and then even tried hours and hours to go in a different direction and that completely failed and was revealed around 6 to 8 o'clock last night that that wasn't going to be a direction uh, and then began, you know, sort of really spiraling feelings I had to say, God, well, then what is it? And so right in the middle of me feeling pretty depressed, God said, well, why don't you preach a depression since you're feeling so weighed down, maybe I'm helping you feel how others might feel. So this is my take on today, that maybe I'm tapping into something that you would be bringing in today, and therefore I'm going to just... uh, reveal several principles of the cause of depression and the cure for depression. And cure has got to be in quotes because I certainly have not found, quote, the cure. I've found a hundred cures, and what works this week may not work at all next week. Uh, next week. But uh, one of the things that's going to work uh, next week is, is certainly Zechariah 12 through 14 as we get to look at the end of history. And we're going to look at the return of Jesus Christ. And I anticipate it being one of the great services in Hope Point's history. And so I hope you come and bring somebody with you as we look at how the whole end of history is going to come about. And I, I know now a little bit of why it didn't happen today. But, uh, so I'm, I'm happy, about, I'm happy about, about that. Depression, I'm going to talk about it. I'm not going to use a verse I'm not even going to allude to a verse for a long time, so please, if you have a comment about that, just save it. Um, I'm aware of that. Uh, um, depression is far more than it's simply, quote, not making the team. Um, it's a feeling of utter hopelessness. It's a feeling of, God, do you care? And it comes to the conclusion of, you don't care. It's a, it's a feeling that you can have eight weeks ago that I feel that God is my Father and He loves me, and all of a sudden, today, I do not feel the fatherly love of God at all. It's an unbelievable ability for that shift of hopelessness. It's, 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 a, it's a point of hopelessness that, that life doesn't have any meaning and purpose. And therefore, it's very difficult to go through trials. I mean, women can have babies because they believe all of this labor pain and all of this screaming has a purpose. Uh, and it sort of compels them to stay at it in the delivery room. But when you believe that life has no purpose, that's a very real form of suffering. So 
Depression's an odd thing. We don't know a lot about broken brains. We know a lot about broken bones. And, and people are really good at fixing those. It, but we're really new, like infancy. Like, it, we're really new about studying broken brains. I mean, you can, you can draw blood and say you have an infection. You're septic. You can't draw blood and say you're depressed. So it's a little bit of a guessing game with doctors of what to do when somebody comes to them and says, I think my soul is broken. And for a Christian who is passionate, ambitious, maybe even combines that with sort of a type A personality, you begin to think something is wrong about my Christian life because I'm not performing and I know that, you know, half of you, I just think the kind of church that God has assembled, I would say half of you are like that. You really want to do great things for God. So when you, you can't, you really feel like something is wrong with your spiritual life. And you can get to a place where you say the world would be better off without me because you can't figure out your purpose. So what are the causes of depression? And this is a list. This is a laundry list because we really don't know other than they all can be apart. Uh, number one, I mean, this is not really, it's not like you, I'm saying anything brilliant, but it, it can be for some people prolonged dealing with disease. For me, I've been to the doctor in the past three weeks, three weeks in a row with migraines. So a little bit of what I'm dealing with right now is it's difficult to focus because my head hurts so bad and working on new stuff, but it, it's like it's got to get in my system and so they don't really want to just dump a bunch on me, so try this, try this, try this. And so we're trying some new stuff. And so after a while, your body just begins to. But long-term dealing with disease, and what I've been dealing with is not long-term dealing with disease, but I use that as a sort of a feeble example. But then there are some people that deal with depression because of weaknesses in their personality. That is something that would make them vulnerable to pain. It wouldn't make you vulnerable to pain at all. In other words, what hurts their feelings doesn't hurt your feelings at all, but they are vulnerable in this area. I mean, somebody like Lisa can still remember a guy named Brad in seventh grade when she got braces. He called her four eyes, uh, braces, glasses. <laughs> <laughs> that would make that would make me sad too. <laughs> uh, he called her jail teeth. Um, <laughs> yeah, glasses. Okay. And so, uh, but uh, laughter is great. Laughter has always been good for me. So I guess that's why God lets me fall in and out of that. But you can see that some things are vulnerable to some people, not vulnerable to others, and so. Long seasons of stress can take a toil on the soul. Then there are people who have just unbelievably messed up relationships with God. We're going to put this in the category of legalism. If they miss a quiet time, they miss a time of Bible reading, they think they're really bad people. I, I'm over that. I'm, I'm well over that. I can miss, I can put a few together and, and still feel that God loves me, but... Uh, burdened by past sin. I'll get to that in a minute. But people still uh, can, they, they, when they pray, they think about past sin all the time. Um, there are people that are depressed because of, of, of 
Other people not affirming them. They have lived their whole life. They want just this one person, and you, you, you've seen this. I just want my mother, my father, spouse. I, I, just, I have to have this affirmation, and, they, and, and, and we'll talk about how, in, how you get around that. But that is a source of depression. I'm seeking. I just have to have that person say I'm worth something or I don't feel worth anything. Anger, unresolved anger is a huge cause. And what I love when I counsel people is how many people uh, that come to my office and, 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 and are clearly depressed and say, I don't have a problem with anger. You know, I think a lot more people have a problem with anger than, than think they have a problem with anger. We were pretty honest with that in staff meeting this week about things that, that tick us off as and that we really don't like to admit. But most angry people say they're not angry. Chemical imbalances, I um, mentioned a minute ago, it's difficult to know exactly. But I, I just want to affirm, I'm a big believer in uh, doctors who are skilled in that area. I'm a, I'm a big believer that there are times when somebody should go to uh, somebody with, with vast amounts of training that can administer uh, uh, chemicals, you know, like serotonin. I'm a, I'm a big believer that's part of God's hand, just as an orthopedic, would, orthopedic surgeon would mend a bone, you mend a brain with chemicals. Then there's great sorrow. Um, let me, let me say this, and uh, for those of you who haven't experienced this, it's going to sound very unspiritual. There are some sorrows on earth you're not going to recover from. Uh, God will sustain you until you arrive at the city of God, but there are some sorrows that are so traumatic, the scars will are going to affect, and, and there will be a wound, precious wound, but it will be life-altering. Uh, it will be part of who you are until you arrive. I mean, there are, there is a reason that there are scars on the body of Christ in heaven. I, the scars are precious. He, Jesus is eternally happy, but let me just say that scars are... Scars are, there are deep scars, and they should be respected. People who live in fear, um, they're going to be depressed. You just give in to fear. You live a life of fear. You're going to be a depressed person. You just think about all the things that could happen in life. It's going to lead to depression. You're going to withdraw. You're going to give in to it. You're going to bow down to it. Your world is going to become smaller and smaller. Um, and then let me last say this before we look at some cures. Um, spiritual warfare. Uh, I, I have told you this before, that if you do not believe in the entity, the being, uh, the person called Satan, you really might as well not attend here ever again. Because I think you should believe in him and his existence and, and his involvement in your life as much as you believe in Jesus Christ. It's, there, 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 there is a true hater of your soul. And 
you know, when I was growing up, there's this guy named Frank Peretti who wrote a bunch of books uh, called This Present Darkness and about eight other books followed it. And he had a very baptized imagination of what did Satan's uh, attacks look like. And so he sort of uh, painted the biblical picture of Satan's attacks with words, and I realized that you can say he's clearly wrong, and, and therefore no one should read his books. So, okay, big deal that he's wrong on the books, but what he said is not wrong, and that is Satan is an adversary seeking people to destroy 1 Peter 5, 8, and John 10, 10. You... you Ephesians 6, and, and again, I should have put verses like that on the board, but I, I am preaching out of failing right now. I, I just ran out of me. I've got some things in a minute, but I ran out of me. Uh, I changed my mind so many times this week. I ran out of me. So 1 Peter 5, 8, Ephesians 6, John 10, 10 would be good spiritual warfare References, Joshua 3, Revelation 12 would be good. Let's see if I got some things on there. Some points of the cures of depression, and I say this. Oh, and by the way, I appreciate the students. Uh, you guys can sleep through this because you have heard it. Um, I did do this talk in a form to them maybe a year or so ago, and you guys saved me. Because I had a chance to think about what I was going to say. So you can get out your phones and, and uh, no, you can't. Um, but here's some points on how to deal with depression. You have a, a responsibility to fight depression. All of us love Martin Luther, the reformer, the 16th century reformer, because he got the church on track after a thousand years of the church getting off track. People always ask, are we a Reformed church? That's an easy yes, because the church prior to Luther was deformed. Uh, the church was formed rightly by the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, and the church got deformed by corrupt religious teachers until the 16th century, where Luther said, the authority of uh, God has spoken through the authority of Scripture. There's only one way to heaven, Jesus Christ. And so we were reformed. It's not a very complicated definition. Well, Luther battled depression greatly. And if you go to the, the Wartburg Castle where he did a lot of his writing when he was reforming uh, the church through writings, I haven't been there. I've only read about these things. In his study in the Wartburg Castle, on the wall, there's this famous ink spot where Luther took his ink well and threw it against the wall at Satan, who hounded him continually as he tried to write the mighty words of the Reformation that brought the church back to Christ. And he was sick and tired of Satan's oppression, and so he through an ink well at Satan. I'll say more about maybe there's a better way to do it than that. But Luther was attacked relentlessly by the foes of spiritual opposition. But my, my point is, 
you got to fight. It's why I came to church today. I can assure you, nothing in my flesh last night, early this morning, wanted to be here. Lisa's in nursery today, so she said, you're not going to do anything crazy on stage today, are you? <laughs> no. Your relationship with God is not going to grow without a fight. Nor is mine. So I came to church today to fight. I wrote a sermon today to fight. I told someone earlier today, before coming here, there is only one reason I'm showing up at church today, and because God is worth it. He's worthy for me to arrive. This is a lot less than a cross, don't you think? Really, look. No nails, just a little sermon that I'm not totally comfortable with because I wish my, outline, my PowerPoint was better. Number two, you have a responsibility to fight depression, not just fight it, but to fight it with truth. There's an MP3 going on in your head all day long. You listen to it right now. All day long. I got some cool earphones in, my, in, in the office. I, I have headphones on all day long because Ronnie Marmel is so loud. <laughs> I wish you guys could be in the office when he enters you know, my name in, in Spanish is Ricardo. He enters the door. He enters the office door. He goes, Ricardo! I love that when my head hurts. But you are listening to something all day long in the MP3 of your brain. Truth or lie? So you have a responsibility to put truth in there. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this. I'm so sorry, this is not on there. Most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. you got to talk to yourself more. Just as King David did, and you're going to love me using this verse because of our friend Catherine Wolf, and just going to love it. Psalm 42, David talking to himself, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, my Savior. What's he doing? Talking to himself. Now, we saw this. Catherine Wolf, you'll have to go back about four weeks ago to see when we showed the Catherine Wolf video from Liberty University. She taught us how to how to talk to yourself using this verse. reason why this verse means so much to me today is because someone sent it to me this week because after that message, someone from this congregation bought a chalkboard, ordered a chalkboard, and put it up in their house and 
wrote these words that Catherine Wolfe said based on Psalm 42, that you've got to learn to talk to yourself. You've got to learn to be bossy with your soul. You've got to talk to yourself. And then that person wrote to me and said, that girl, Catherine Wolfe from Liberty University, or that's where we got her talk, you'll never know how much she changed my life and many lives. You don't know how much your life, pastor, and your wife's life means to us and this church. Wow. Let me tell you something. As a pastor, I'm always looking, we're always looking as a staff, we're always so much looking ahead to the next thing that we got to do and to the things that we're not doing right. It's ever so often, it's just so great to hear we got something right. And somebody would take that sermon and love that was so encouraging. So you got to talk to yourself with truth. With truth. With truth. Number three. You have a responsibility to believe the cross can wash away all your guilt. Groveling about how bad you are is sin. Groveling about how bad you are brings no glory to God. You need to celebrate the fact of all that God has done through Jesus Christ to cleanse you of all impurity. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Righteousness. It's not the will of God that you be burdened by past sin. I'm sorry, I don't think my mic's working. It's not the will of God that you be burdened by past sin. Man, look at this. It's not working. Do you know what Martin Luther, do you know when I say he threw the well, the ink well, there's a reason he threw it. Satan always brought up Luther's past sins. So Luther, on this particular, Luther writes, on this particular episode, Luther said to Satan, screamed at him that night, you forgot a few And then Luther named them all and then said, they have all been covered by his blood and then threw the well. No glory to God by you living in past sin. You know what I did this week to try to... I don't know what I was doing this week to try to help me and me. And me. There's a lot of me's in here. Very, a lot, lot of layers to this onion. But I, I, I knew I couldn't do Zechariah 12 through 14. It wasn't going to happen. 
because I hadn't quite figured out the date of Christ's return, and I will this week. Just kidding. All right. So, um, so you're not going to believe the direction I went. I decided to read Augustine's, his book, The Confessions. It was written in A.D. 397 to 400, obviously the primary influencer of the Western church from the 4th century on. I mean, you got Augustine, or if you want to say it wrong, Augustine. We all say Augustine, but Augustine, Augustine. Yeah, Luther, Jonathan Edwards, maybe Piper, when history is done. But Confessions is really, it's 13 books. It's his journey of when he was an infidel teenager, a rebel. How he came to Christ how he left the religion, the Christianity of his mother. Father was not a believer. And how he came back to Christ. So I was going to, I thought it would be fun to read the conversion. I thought it would be good for my soul to read the impossible conversion of Augustine and then maybe tie it in with not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And that was my little plan, and that one got all messed up. But in reading the confessions, or you know, the part that they're long, the part that I could read, I, I read in book six what he said was his key to happiness. Oh, this is beautiful. This paraphrase. He talks in big words. You'd be glad, I paraphrase. He says the key to happiness is to acknowledge the many wrong paths that you've gone down, the many ways in which you have strayed, yet cling to the truth of Scripture that there is a God who has remained faithful to you. The key to happiness is to contemplate who God is, what He has done for you in Christ, and to forever look forward to the city of God where your happiness will be complete. The key to happiness is to joy, is to look forward, is to enjoy the love of God which joyfully sent Christ, which joyfully pursued you and joyfully will never give up on you. You know, Bob Kaufman is a great teacher of worship leaders. And Bob Kaufman cautioned young worship songwriters in a Desiring God article last week, he said, we need to be careful to make sure that we don't write so many songs about how much we love God. We should be writing a lot more songs about how much He loves us. Because that's where happiness is. How much He loves us. 
Because you're going to get real depressed if you base everything on how much you love God. Number something. Four, you have a responsibility to look for and cherish any and all drops of mercy. I needed to write a sermon yesterday, so I thought the most important thing I could do at that time would be to cut grass. See the correlation? I needed to write a sermon yesterday, so the most important thing I could do is do some weed eating. I just couldn't. It's too vigorous of a process on my mind when I'm struggling. And let me tell you something. I rejoiced yesterday the drops of mercy of the smell of grass. What mercy. And then when I came in, when I stepped through that door and I just knew that my wife was about to bow down and say, I praise thee. (laughs) Oh, master, in all that's on you for taking time to cut our grass and our neighbor's grass, I praise thee. Instead, she said, not one step forward. You take those clothes off. (laughs) But after that, warm shower. And I did, praise God, warm shower. When is the last time you have rejoiced in the mercy of a warm shower? You have a responsibility to look for and cherish all drops, literally, Just thought that up. Drops of mercy. Number five, you have a responsibility to focus on the beautiful life of Jesus Christ. I'm not even talking about, you know, I'm not even talking about you being able to pray. Just rejoice that he's perfect. I can do that all the time no matter how depressed I am. I just say, Jesus, I thank you. You are perfect. I just thank you that you love lepers I just think you made every decision right. Just focus on the beautiful life of Christ. I mean, the summit, the summit of everything in Scripture is His life. Him. You have a responsibility to read Scripture, especially the Psalms. We're reading the Psalms right now in staff, and I'm loving it. Man, those guys know how to pour out their depression to God. I'm not a great prayer, but I can read the Bible, I'll tell you that. And the Psalms, because those guys are whining all the time. It's not really, they're just helping you articulate your hurt, force Feed yourself. Man, you know what we buy for mama more than anything else is boost. That mama will not eat. Man, I I call her and say, what would you eat for lunch? Can't remember. What would you eat for supper? Can't remember. So we just buy her boost. Mom, you got to eat something. Well, I did have a boost. (laughs) Force feed yourself. Read the Psalms. Read something. You have a responsibility to go to church. You ought to be here today. You are. Um, 
I should be here today. This is so good. I'm so much happier right now than I was 38 minutes ago. Uh, no, no, it's 1051. So much happier. So much happier than I was an hour ago. Go to church. And listen. Go to church. Go to church and listen for something that's hopeful. You have a responsibility to articulate your fears to God. Let me just read you some cool passages. I just, just, just. Matthew 6, 25. And we could, really could have done a whole sermon on any of those. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly who? Father. You read Matthew 6. There are eight reasons in Matthew 6 of why you should not fear, and they're all based on you got a Father in heaven. You say, well, I had a bad Father on earth. That is not the way you approach Scripture. You, get, you look first heavenward to decide what a father is supposed to look like. You get your idea of fatherhood from God. Oh. What kind of father is he? He cares for you. 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. you. You have a responsibility to say, God, I am depressed. Or the boy, the Mount Everest of the Bible on fear. Isaiah 41.10, do not fear for I am with you. I am with you. I mean, Dan, I mean, it, it, Jenny is not to your right. God is next to you. In between you and Jenny is God Almighty. The creator of Everest is between you and Jenny. Do not fear, I am with you. Do not be dismayed, I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. I am with you. I have a church planter friend in India. Every time he prays in his kitchen, you know what he does? He pulls up an empty chair. And he prays to the empty chair because he knows God is there. Coffee, Bible, and an empty chair. To prove this verse, God is there. You have a responsibility to believe truth instead of lies. I know this is similar to another thing. Let me just say this as I wind this down. Let me just tell you how, how bad, and I'll talk about lies about God. Let me, just tell you, let me just show you how Paul did not believe lies. 2 Corinthians 4. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Second Corinthians 4.12, then verse 16. We do not lose heart. Why? Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. 
So the lie that Paul could have believed, if you would have seen the Apostle Paul, you would have seen a guy that was a mess. You have Paul on stage, you would have just seen mess, a bodily mess. And for most of us, it would have been the end of self-image. His body was a mess. And everything in this world says our self-image is dependent on our body. Our body's our hope in America. Western Christianity. Paul says, lie. Death is at work in my body, and when death is at work in my body, it means life is at work in the church. We don't lose heart. Why? My body is wasting away. Inwardly, it makes me a stronger servant. That's truth. He did not believe lies. He did not believe lies. And I wrote this as a related note. I don't think I'm going to say much about it. You have a responsibility to love who God has made you to be. That's sort of similar. Your suffering has a purpose. Physically, the way you look. Mentally, everything. Everything you hate about, everything that hinders you, it's, it's all for the advance of the gospel. Twelve, you have a responsibility to believe that life is not hopeless. Can't say that. And I'll just say this. Let me, let me just say this. Anybody who says, and this is to me, this is to me, Anybody who says that life is hopeless is denying the resurrection. Nothing looked more hopeless than a dead Messiah. And we all know the end of the story. Life is not hopeless in light of the resurrection. You cannot, don't use that word. And that, that's, I, I use that word. It's never good. It's never good. It always brings me down really, 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 really bad. Whenever we say that life is hopeless, we're saying there is no future. And we saw that last week. Everybody in Zechariah chapter 4 was saying it's hopeless. And then next week, things are going to look really, really hopeless in Zechariah chapter 12. And then Jesus is going to come back and kill a lot of people and rescue his church. It's going to be good. Number 13, you have a responsibility to find joy in God, not people. And this is what I just brought up at the beginning. I just wanted to tell you that, yeah, you may want somebody to love you like a spouse. You may want somebody to love you like you wish your child loved you. You may want somebody to love you like I wish that my, I had grown up and my father loved me. But here's what I tell people in my office. I know that you didn't get love through those people, but I bet, you got, I bet God sent you somebody else. A great friend, 
a great church. So rejoice in the means of grace. The water may have not come through the waterfall that you wanted, but he did send another waterfall. So you got grace, just not where you demanded. But he did send what you needed. Number 14, you have a responsibility to deal with your anger. Let me just say this. I could say a lot of things about you should love your enemies. I'm not a real fan of that. I mean, you should. But that's pretty predictable. Let me just tell you how I love my enemies. I do love my enemies, but it is important to smile at your enemies and all that. But here's the, the best way that I think of loving your enemies is to understand they can never stop the purposes of God. I lo- that's, re- that's liberating. Just love that. They can do a number on you, but they cannot s- stop the purposes of God. <clears throat> 15, you have a responsibility to obey God. No matter how bad you feel, sin is not an option. I bet everybody in this gym has gone that direction before. Not drinking, not drugs, not porn. That is, you can't do that. No matter how bad you feel, sin is not an option. Number 16, you have a responsibility to not withdraw. <clears throat> Let me put this on here so Chris Arnold will be my best friend. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily. I'm going to say this point and one more. Give me the liberty. Maybe I want to bring you back in. Because... Let me just say this. We don't know exactly what community looks like right now at this church. I was in a three-hour meeting this week with some people. We are praying. We are begging God to give wisdom. It might be small groups for some. It might be couples, small groups. It might be, it might be men meeting with men, women meeting with women. It might be two-on-two. It might be one-on-one. It might be on the phone. It might be emails. But let me just tell you this. You, to get through this Christian life, you need somebody who constantly hears from your heart your joys, your triumphs in God, your Moral and spiritual struggles slash failures. Your temptations, weaknesses. And you need somebody that both of you together are praying for, not just one another, but for people outside of you. You need to be praying for the suffering of the world. I wrote my prayer partner this week, and I wrote him, and I texted him, and I said, Thank you 
for picking me up for 30 plus years and helping me walk again on this gospel path. And I'm just going to tell you this because I need to let you know why some of my plans for this morning's message got messed up. For two hours last night, I say this only as illustration, and I have been encouraged to share things like this because we share other testimonies, we should share these. Lisa and I are part of a group, we are helping a homeless guy downtown. We don't do much. Others do far more. But we try every a couple nights to make sure this guy has something to eat. So we saw him last night. It took us, I tried the night before I couldn't find him. Last night we found him. And he was by a dumpster, bent over, obvious pain in his abdomen, bent over like you would be bent over, and he had had stomach issues for two days, diarrhea, and he's outside. So we took him to an all-expense-paid two-day, two-night trip to one of Spartanburg's darkest and most deplorable and dangerous hotels. He stayed there before. We've put him up there before. Others have put him up there before. But, I mean, he likes it there because that's normal for him. And then we went and shopped, and I, I called Dr. Evans and said, what, do you, what can I buy? What should I buy for somebody who is throwing up and not eating and, but needs some, you know, fluids? And he was just the perfect example of how we need community. We're not supposed to be alone. He is not supposed to be alone. I don't know how to fix him. I don't know how to fix much of anything right now. But I know that whatever we're called to fix as a church, it's going to take every single one of us walking in community with each other. As never before, it's got to be together. Together. So pray that we would have wisdom to know how to see a work of God grow us in community toward one another to help each other love good deeds. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. He is the summit of all that you have done in history and all that you spoke about in Scripture. He's the peak. 
He's the Everest that's one million miles above Mount Everest. He's everything we need. He is our hope. He cleanses us from all sin. He accepts us in all of our failures. And He leads us in all righteousness. And He will never forget us. And He will never give up on us. So Lord, use this community of believers and the preaching and singing of the Word and all of our depression and all of our triumph and all of our disease and all of our funerals and all of our births and all of our baby-holding, children-teaching, all of our wire-running and building-purchasing and all of our water-well-drilling all of our mission trip going, all of our praying, all of our praying to make this church to be the spotless bride of Jesus Christ in Spartanburg, South Carolina. We want our clothes, our wedding dress, our wedding clothes to be a bit prettier after today than when we got up this morning. Sanctify us by the word of the washing of the Holy Spirit. Give us hope because we have a Father in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.